Welcome to Don't Eat Your Young, a nursing podcast with your host, Beth Quas. Before we get started, we have a few quick notes. Don't Eat Your Young is a listener-supported podcast. To learn more about becoming a member and the perks available to you for becoming a patron yourself, visit patreon.com slash don't eat your young. You can learn more about the show, share your story to join Beth as a guest, or connect with our wonderful community in our Facebook group. You can find all those links and more at don'teatyouryoung.com. And now, on with the show. We are so lucky today to have Joniel Smith Conley here. She's been a nurse for over 40 years, and she knows a lot about bullying because that is kind of what she's studying. So, Joniel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, I started my career a gazillion years ago. I was a diploma grad. And I think there are very few of us left. But interestingly enough, and this is where I want to tie in to where this whole conversation is going. Even back in the late 70s, we talked about eating our young and we talked about that. And we're looking at 50 years later for pity sakes. So um, I began my clinical practice in the emergency room and, and had an excellent, never had bullying or never really had that issue until I moved to the operating room. And the OR nurses out there are going, yes, yes, she knows our life. But I think what, what happened to me there happens on other units as well. But during my orientation, the person, I was close to the end of orientation and the person who was supposed to be helping me actually set me up by sending me out of the room to find a piece of equipment that wasn't available, that she knew wasn't available. And I came back to the room and I was mortified in front of the chief of the service and all of that. And what I found out afterwards, again, she, she set me up in front of the physician. She's, she, you know, put the patient under stress, put me in a place where I was like, holy Christmas. And I found out later that the piece of equipment was out for repair. So that wasn't the first time, but that's the one that sticks in my memory as that first opportunity. And as my career went, went on, I, I was a staff nurse. I've been a nursing leader. I've been a nursing executive. I've been a um, teacher, a consultant. I worked for the advisory board company for 10 years, got my BS on, my master's, and finally my doctorate in organizational leadership, knowing full well that I would study bullying. It, while I did it. That was sort of my my end. I'm heading this way because anybody who's in a doctoral program knows you have to have a reason to be doing it. So I, I did my doctoral dissertation on bullying and I used the population of OR nurses that I was the most familiar with. And so what I did is I used a, a, a model from an Australian nurse who said, okay, there's three pieces to this. One there's organizational factors that lead into bullying. There's personal factors. And then there's consequences of bullying. And so I did this particular study and I correlated the surgical never events. And what was interesting, and at the time they were wrong patient, wrong site, wrong procedure, retained instrument and death of an ASA1 patient. Not to my surprise, every single one of those particular never events correlated to bullying. And when we did the study, the surgeon came out as the highest bully which I had, and these were findings I wasn't surprised with, but when I added bullied by my boss, bullied by my colleague, and bullied by an ancillary staff member, they far exceeded bullied by the surgeon. And I think that's kind of telling as well. So I got done with this about 11 years ago, and I went, okay, I, I found out what I already knew. I validated what I knew, and I didn't know what to do with that information. I was still figuring out, looking for tools. And I had gone to a coaching practice years before. So I I did it. Um, I coached 
as a nurse, I think we do it all the time, but I was still trying to process what's something I could give nurses, not just nurses, but everybody. And you know how sometimes these, these downloads just come to you. So I was in a convertible with my husband in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and all this information came to me. And what it turned out to be is what I call the meanness matrix. And this tool is, and again, we'll make it available to your listeners and, and in some other fashions, was a way for you as the person who is being bullied to recognize, first of all, it's not about you. Um, even though you are feeling this and it's it's very, very personal and it's extremely um, toxic and it's extremely difficult to address, but there's a spectrum of bullies. There are people who are rude and a lot of times people go, they're bullying me. And, and again, it's a, it's a fine distinction, but I want us to recognize, I would say the majority of things are rudeness and we react to them in such a way that we give away our joy. We give away some of ourselves because we automatically responded. So we, we have the spectrum of bullying. We have rude. We have the actual, the, the folks who we would categorize as bullying. And part of the researcher's problem is we don't have a true definition of bullies, but we kind of have an idea what that looks like. And then the third category are the folks with narcissistic personality disorders or full-fledged narcissists. And I used a lot of the work of Dr. Christiane Northrup. She wrote a book, Dodging Energy Vampires, where she talks a lot about this. And that's a small population of, of individuals. But the first thing I want you to give some thought to is, who's this person? Who is the person that's doing this? And, it, and again, let's be honest. Right now we're talking about people, but you can be bullied by an organization, by a doctrine, by a whole bunch of other things. And on another episode, we'll talk about me being bullied by the healthcare system when I had a medical situation, but determine what is the characteristic of that individual. Then on this grid, which we call the meanness matrix, the the horizontal axes, in the far left-hand corner, it talks about does this person really matter to me? Are they are they in my circle every day? Now, I always say they matter to Jesus. They just might not matter to me. And then you move up a little bit and put folks that matter a bit. Folks that you have a not intimate, but a friendship, a collegial, a, a comradeship. And then the upper folks are the ones who really are that small circle of your dear friends, dear family, those people who really impact your life. And so this nine by nine grid gives you the opportunity to say, okay, I'm dealing with a, somebody who's rude and they don't matter. What's a strategy I might use? So that was sort of the outcoming. And I've been presenting this for the most part in nursing orientations because when we think about our new grads and for let's pause for a minute for those pandemic new grads, we send you our love and prayers and stick with it. You'll get there. And yes, absolutely. And all of us are, are, are rooting for you kind of a thing. So in, in nursing orientation, a lot of times um, you come out of school and don't have this wherewithal about who the players are, what, how do I react? How do I respond? And so this has been a really good tool there. Now, I've also taken it, that particular tool to some other um, groups. Um, I do a lot of work with Shriners International and those and um, fraternal organizations, and it resonates well with people. And it gives you sort of that snapshot of what to do. 
But over the course of the last couple of years, I've added some other tools to my tool belt. I've added the work of the Arbinger Institute, which is outward mindset, again, which lets you say, okay, that person is behaving in such a way. How might I respond? Do I need to respond? Are they there and I'm here? So I've added that to my toolbox. And recently this past summer, I did some work with David Emerald. And he took the work of Stephen Karpman, who wrote, who um, created what's called the dreaded drama triangle. Now, can we stop for just a second? Because everybody's going, I'm there, Jody, I'll give it to me. But the, the drama triangle talks about when you're faced with a situation, you can become a persecutor, you can become a victim, or you can become a rescuer. Now, can I just stop for a minute and let everybody know I resonate or I reside in the rescuer spot yes. a lot? As probably most most nurses do. But what um, David Emerald has done is said to get out of that, the um, rescuer can become a coach. The persecutor can be a, become a challenger. The victim can become um, an advocate. So there's a lot of spots to that. Great you do it at orientation because those new people need to learn it, need to know how to cope with those things but we all need to hear what you are talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. And at, at the beginning of 2020, I'd really started a, a process of interviewing nurses. You know, it was a year of the nurse and all, and then we had March hit us. And so the nurses were, as we all know, we all were consumed with what was happening in our world. But I had done about 15 um, interviews and those 15 nurses were seasoned nurses, surprisingly. And most of them said, you know, I struggled a lot with this early in my career with nurse to nurse. Now it's other factors. It's organizational factors. It's leadership factors. So I think the, 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 the concepts are still there, but I think over the course of our career, sometimes those are, are focus changes on, on what we're dealing with. And I also have a strong belief, and this comes from my, my days at the advisory board where we talked about disruptive behavior. Those of us who are in practice in 2008, when the Joint Commission came out and said, thou shalt do something about disruptive behavior. But we, we talked about, you know, the, the fact that we have to own our own behavior and we have to, to make sure that we're in charge of what we're doing and not always blame the other person. But I think organizationally, one of the things I learned during that period is that organizations need, first off, a code of conduct that is enforceable and enforced. That is square one. And for those of you who are having issues at your organizations, be sure you have a copy of that code of conduct and and have it with you. Again, things have evolved over the last few years. So it's not just racial slurs and all that. I always talk about the trifecta, the eye rolling the hand on the hip and the sigh. I just did it for those <laughs> yeah. of you who are watching the podcast. But we also, we always talked a lot about as leaders, well, I can't discipline somebody for that behavior. Well, we know that is still putting up a wall. That kind of behavior is keeping the other person from getting the information they need or the, the thing. So organizations, first off, have to have a code of conduct. Secondly, organizations have to have the courage to address these behaviors. Uh, again, I can speak for the most part with my, my, wonderful, beloved surgeons in my life that we, I've had to have some of these really interesting educational processes. Aren't I being correct with all this? But everybody else, I guess, knows. I know exactly what she's talking about. But 
organizations have to have courage to say, you know what, this isn't okay. These behaviors are impacting how we deliver care. And if I could pause right here for one second, and and I want your listeners to understand, and you're going to have access to this resource, resource about how to word your descriptions of bullying so your voice will be heard. The document's actually called How to Chart Bullying So Your Voice Will Be Heard. And what ends up happening, and any of the leaders who are on the phone, I mean, I used to get things shoved under my door. So-and-so did so-and-so. And if and if it wasn't signed, I did nothing with it. I figured, you know what? You better have the gut. I was going to say the ball, the gut to, to, <laughs> to sign it. But what I want you listeners to understand, and this goes back to the organizational piece, is that you can say what happened. And this is the other piece that we're not really good about taking our emotions out of the equation. And I know I've found too that when people would come to me and have complaints of bullying or something, they rarely would put their name to it. And they'd say, well, I don't want to do anything about it, but well, then I can't do anything about it. Exactly. And so if you can own up and say, this person said these and put the exact words, don't use words like they were rude or they were mean or this was awful. That's not going to get you very far. But if you can say, Sally Sue said, the piece of equipment is so-and-so and I told you it's there and you need to go get it because I said, you know, I'm, I'm giving an example. But what the next piece I want you to, to document is what was the impact on patient care of that? That's the key, my friends. And say, because this piece of equipment was not available and she didn't, was not helping and I had to go running, Mrs. So-and-so's treatment was delayed by an hour and a half. Therefore, she didn't get this. She ended up staying an extra day. Is that making sense how we can map that piece out so that we're not granted this is this is impacting you and I don't I'm not downplaying the impact on the individual but what I want you to to get to in this spot the very beginning of this document is what was the impact on the patient what was the impact on the organization did you end up staying an hour and a half overtime to the tune of $75 and and again I don't always want to go to the money but when you're when you're presenting this to your leadership team you say this was the impact on patients, the impact on the organization, the impact on me, and actually write those things out. And now, the other piece of this document, there are what we would call serial bullies. Yes, there are. And we all know them. <laughs> and we know them. And guess what? I'm, I'm going to predict that that, middle, that person's middle name is but, meaning they're really good at blah, 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 but they are a booger to work with. And my philosophy in leadership has always been, now again, do not repeat this, friends. <laughs> Anybody whose middle name is but should be released to the community. Yes, I agree. But it's so hard to have upper leaders back those in, and I will say I was a middle manager, it was hard to get anyone to back me in saying this person is really toxic to our department. The end result of bullying and these kind of behaviors is a toxic slash hostile work environment. And I think we need to make sure that 
we understand that and we're able to put words around it. And one of the things I think for us as nurses, and, and some of you may have seen this, I have been walking down a hallway and I would hear a nurse in a room, the most kind, loving, attentive individual and come out of the hallway and rip the face off her colleague. Just what is this? And so this is another piece I think that we we were mentioning, and I know we kind of diverted a little bit. We'll get back in a second. But as a profession, we need to acknowledge what's happened over the last two years. And we do to acknowledge that that toxicity and, and stuff that's the PTSD that is raging within us and and figure out ways to to wrap around arms around each other and say, hey, this has been not fun. And let's figure out what our profession is going to take, how we're going to take care of each other. So that's just a tiny little offside. So again, you're going to get this document. The organization needs to have courage, needs to have a code of conduct, needs to be willing to enforce it across the board. But let's talk about you, the individual. How do you process this? How do you um, address this? Now, again, I don't know if it's us as nurses or just who we are as people, but I, I think making sure that you protect yourself and protect your heart. And that's one of the things the Minus Matrix encourages you to do is put up your force field. You know, there's no no sense of you giving away your joy, which is in short supply sometimes. In a moment of this kid smashed my potato chips in the grocery store. Now, let me tell you, that kid who smashed your potato chips in the grocery store is just just going to work, trying to get through. So let that one go. <laughs> let it go. But as you move through the spectrum, there are times that you do have to do things. You have to recognize if somebody matters a little bit, you've got to see see them as people. And this goes back to the serial bullies versus, bullies versus the naive bully. Because I think all of us, if we were in the quietness of our hearts, would acknowledge that we've probably bullied somebody in our day. That is so true. You know, and, and I talk about this naive versus serial. You know, I can I can speak when I was running the OR board and I had 14 rooms and I needed to get stuff done and people walked by and I said, get to that room. And it's like, good gravy. But one of the things I, I knew is I went back and said, I'm sorry for being gruff. Thank you for doing what I asked you to do kind of thing. And I think people knew me well enough, but there are times that we we just snap. So as you're looking to this and, and the meanness matrix, and when you get into the bullying and the narcissist, I think it is so important for you to guard your heart, you know, to be in those interactions with those folks and know that, again, one of the things that sets a rude person aside from a bully is the bully has intentionality on their plate. This isn't willy-nilly. The rude person is usually somebody who's just off having a bad day or whatever. The bully oftentimes is very deliberate, very intentional, can be overt, meaning out in the open, or, or can be covert. And those are things like hiding pieces of equipment, high, keeping information, um, what was the other, gossiping, Facebook stuff, all of those kind of things. And those are the ones that somehow we think it's our fault. And I'm here to tell you it's not your fault. I'm here to tell you that you did nothing to make that bully's heart hardened and to do that stuff to you. But it's so easy. It is so easy. Do you have a way to know who a bully may target? Is it a certain personality? 
you know, there's all kinds of opinions on that. One is that they, they target people that they perceive as vulnerable. That's one of the opinions. One of the opinions though is that they target like the superstar, you know, the person who's really doing well. So again, there's, it's hard to determine, you know, what that might look like. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know that it's happening. And another part of my studying over the summer is the role of the amygdala and the, the primitive brain and the, the, the front prefrontal cortex. Because when you're bullied, your amygdala has just hijacked your system. <laughs> and you are in fight, flight, or freeze response before you even know it. And so you're already tensed up. You've already had a shot of cortisol. You've already had all that raging through your body. And one of the things I ask everybody to do, and this is the simplest thing, is just deep cleansing breath. If you can take that tiny pause to let your pre prefrontal lobe take over before you send the nasty email, before you do this stuff, before you, before you bark back. And I know there's a lot of bullying people that say, just give them a taste of their own medicine. And you know what you've just done is you just emboldened that bully a lot of times. And, and so if you are solid and secure. And what's hard is sometimes in nursing, we're not solid and secure. We've transferred to a new unit. We got pulled. We're working a different shift. We're working with people we don't know. We've got a strange patient who's got gababa baba baba disease. And all of a sudden our confidence is shook. And then somebody comes in and shakes it even further. And, and the other thing, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I don't exactly know what's the deal here. That's exactly what I was going to hit on that you said we can't know everything and that is okay admit it find the answer and then move on learn something from it and don't feel bad if you don't know it all you know that's the piece of it that's the piece but to finish your question you asked earlier about targets there's a there's a wide spectrum of that and I'm not sure I could could give you a a clear-cut response to that but um, that amygdala piece, I really think we have to to get on that. And then the last thing that I've been, you know, I I, I listen to a lot of people. I was watching Andrew Weil the other day um, do a talk. He's the guy with the beard, the holistic fella. He's been around a long time. Him and then another book I read called Burnout. We'll have it in the show notes. It was written by two sisters. They talked about ending the stress cycle that, one of the things we don't do is the stressor is over, but we still have all of that running around in our bodies and we don't have a good way of, you know, and, and they get, you know, shaking it off or you know, crying in the bathroom or whatever it is. We have to get that out of our system. Now, my favorite thing is Rocky Road ice cream, which isn't particularly healthy. So I'm working <laughs> on some of those, but acknowledging the saber-toothed tiger, the bully, the surgeon who's a twit, the boss who's, you know, kind of in another dimension. We have to recognize that we've gone into that fight, flight, freeze. That cortisol is running through our bodies. We are tensed up tighter than a drum. And then they leave and we're still tensed up tighter than a drum. So what Andrew Weil has suggested, and I've started doing this where you do a breath in for four, you hold it for seven, and then you breathe out for eight. 
And I, that's a lot of other people have have breathing. You know, I'm all for breathe in, breathe out, <laughs> deep cleansing breath and breathe it out. But whatever it takes, I think this whole spectrum, and I don't think that bullying is going to be eradicated or by one strategy, by one modality. We always think that one shot of penicillin is going to fix us. Right. And I think we have this is a multidisciplinary approach that we have to take to this. But as professionals and the, the folks listening to this, I challenge you to take charge of your own response. I challenge you to say, you know what, this is happening. It's probably not right. I'm going to document it in a way. And you may have to document it more than once. If it's a serial bullier, you're probably going to have to keep those sheets and eventually show the pattern. But I'm telling you, if something terribly egregious occurs, get on the dang phone. I always talk about the fact that most of us as nurses would lay over a patient if we saw somebody doing something wrong, but do do the same for ourselves. When is it time to say, this is enough? I am now suffering PTSD from working with whatever the bully may be. When is it time to walk away? Well, we can also talk about the consequences of bullying. And those are, you know, we know that there are physical consequences. When I when I tell the story about when the CEO was a bully of an organization that I was at, I gained 30 pounds and had seven ulcers. That was a clear-cut signal that <laughs> something was amiss. And I, I also feel like sometimes we detach from our physical signals. Our, your body's going to send you signals. Your body, I mean, if you lay awake and you can't sleep, you have insomnia, and if you're playing that scene over and over in your head... If your family relations are suffering, my husband, when I was in that situation, goes, I don't like you right now. <laughs> so that was, you know, so we know that there's physical, there's emotional. And again, there's a spectrum. And I have sadly stories of nurses who committed suicide over these issues. And so there's nothing wrong with saying, I need help whether it's a coach, whether it's employee assistance, whether it's a therapist, whether, you know, all of those things. And at the end of the day, and I think this is getting to the question that you asked, at the end of the day, each of us owns our own practice. Each of us owns our own soul. And if you are in a toxic or hostile environment, get the heck out if need be. If you're exhausted all of the you know, and there are toxic organizations. I'm just going to say it. I, I please don't, you know, don't come after me. There are, there are. I, I think most of us could say that that we know of them. You know, one of the things I think that keeps us as nurses from making big bold changes when we know that we're getting eaten alive. Well, we've lurked long enough that we don't have to work X number of holidays. <laughs> We're on day shift. We got a good schedule. We got all these sort of things. And all of those things are important. I'm not negating that. But if you're getting eaten alive from the inside out, nursing is a buffet for pity's sakes. Your nursing knowledge is usable in so many places. And, you know, I, I was never one that was gifted for the bedside. I just, you know, we all have different, I went to the emergency room, I went to the operating room, those were really good places for me. Now I I did my, my times and all, but, and if you're in, like I said, I always tell people, if you pull into the parking lot 
you grab the steering wheel, you bang your head on a steering wheel going, I can't do this. Listen to yourself. You know, look in in your organization. There may be a different unit. You you may have to go through the pecking order. And, and, you know, going back to um, Benner's novice to expert, we hate being novices. Yes, we do. We hate being novices. We like being the one, because I think a lot of us are rescuers like me. We like having the knowledge. We like having the skill. We not, we like those things. We like, a lot of times we like our friends. We build, you know, my dearest friends are some of the folks I've worked with over the years. We build those and we don't want to lose them. You know, my dad always said, make a list, pluses and minuses. And only you can decide. But there are red flags. And if the red flags are your friends and family saying, listen, you know, I just checked your trash bag. There's four bottles of Canadian Club in there in four days. I mean, that's a red flag. Right. <laughs> you know, you notice that you're just, you're stopping and eating and, or you're barking at your kids or you're not, in, or, or you're not enjoying life. That's the other piece, you know? And, and one of the, one of the things I also offer is like a five step how to rejoy your life by rising and shining and, accepting, you know, creating energy and recognizing this is a journey. We always think it's a point in time and it's a journey. The the fourth stage of that is offer grace, not only to yourself, but to others. And that's a hard one sometimes. And the last one is say yes. Say yes to life. I mean, it's a quick world. It's a quick rotation. (laughs) And if these things are stealing your joy, own your own happiness and your own joy. I love that. I am so glad that you could share that with people because we do need to take care of each other, especially right now, because it seems like we're kind of being left in the dust some days and, you know, kicked when we're down and you've given us as individuals so much to think about. And what would you tell the organizations that we're working for? They have to own their piece of it as well. And again, I acknowledge that everybody's squished. Everybody's squished. Everybody, every, all of this. And that's sort of that offer grace. My husband is not in healthcare. So when, when we were watching all the pandemic issues and nurses and the PPEs and all this, he goes, why the heck don't they just quit? I go, cause you're not a nurse and you don't get it. Oh, that is perfect. And I did tell him that. I said, you know, you, you just outsiders can't don't. And again, our loved ones and all that, they love us, but they don't always get us. And sometimes we don't even get us as a profession. And so um, organizations, again, one of the things, when I worked at the advisory board, I did um, mid-level training. And anyone in this audience who went from staff nurse to assistant nurse manager, manager, that's the hardest jump you'll ever take. And the things that you learned in nursing school don't apply oftentimes. And what I tell those managers is remember that your your patient is now your unit. Before you and use the same skills. I always say, you never gave insulin till you checked the blood sugar. Why would you change a schedule before you asked your staff? <laughs> yes. Why and why the problem too is, Joniel, and you know this very well, they don't get the training to step into those roles. Bingo. That's exactly what I'm saying. 
and that's and and everybody gets mad at this brand new manager who's out of her element, has her her element. And I was blessed when I again, this was a thousand years ago when I first made my very first transition from staff nurse to um, leadership. Is there was five of us, and we had to go to HR every Wednesday afternoon from two o'clock to three o'clock. And we got a really good how to do agreements, how to do a schedule, how to have a difficult conversation, how to all of those things. And organizations have lost that. And they expect, I'm going to take this fabulous clinician who's superstar. And, and a lot of times that superstar is the last man standing and they go, okay, you're not the boss. Yes. And it's not fair and it's not right. And so I would say to organizations, invest in your nursing leaders, invest in, in leaders overall, but I'm passionate about nursing leaders. You know, that's what I did for a lot of years was that piece of it because when I was my assistant director, I can't remember, I was in my leadership career in the operating room and I was fast approaching a director level. And I went back to school and got a master's in business administration because I thought the net present value of money was what I had in my checkbook. <laughs> and I wanted to have, I wanted, this sounds terrible, but I wanted to sit at the main table. I wanted to be the person sitting at the table, but I didn't have the education. I didn't have the knowledge. Now, a lot of times people can get knowledge by studying. There's a lot of resources out there now. You don't always have to get a master's degree, doctor degree, whatever, but I would challenge new leaders or leaders. You might've been a leader for 10 years and you still don't know some of this stuff. Take it upon yourself. Become friends with the, the chief financial officer. If he's a good guy or gal, learn some of the strategies that are going to help because bullying is a symptom sometimes of other things happening in an organization. It's a symptom of a poor communication chain. It's a symptom of poor leadership decisions. It can be a symptom of, you know, um, one of the, one of the, the model that I used, one of the things I talked about was that sometimes bullies get promoted because they get things done at the expense of other people. So you need to, you know, those are some of those key factors that organizations should be thoughtful and be considerate of they're dealing with live human beings, not robotrons to do these things. And I think our profession has, and again, I'm going to sound so biased for nurses, but I used to say I could fix anything with duct tape and hemostat because I could never count on environmental services to fix the stuff. <laughs> yes. You know, and nurses and, have to wear all hats. Yeah. And we're tired. We're tired, you know, and that's the piece. And again, folks that are listening to this, that are just try to try to rest into yourself. Try to try to listen to your body. Try to listen to those signals that say, Something is not happening. Something's not right. I got to talk to somebody. I got to be with somebody. I got to do something. I got to, uh, uh, again, I, I ever, the whole thing about put your oxygen mask on first is overdone, but it's still true. If you don't want to, this sounds terrible. Nurse managers out there are going to kill me, but if you can't pick up an extra shift, don't pick up an extra shift. Absolutely. Please don't. Or you know what? If you really truly need a mental health day, take the mental health day. Absolutely. And that goes back to seeing people as people and as, as, as a profession and as individuals. Now, I know most of us will tell, you know, we've all had colleagues that have had 
dastardly thing that kids die and crashes and all that. And we will rally to that person's support and we will pick up shifts and we'll donate PTO and we'll do all that sort of stuff. But when it gets to be three years after the fact and the person is still in that spot, we get a little bit tired of that. And that's when that person has to say, I got to own my my own grief, my own things. Yes, I that is so spot on. And when I say take a mental health day, but once that becomes your routine or your habit, then it truly it's time to say, I need to do something differently. Uh-huh. Yeah. I am so in love with the work that you're doing and it is so spot on to what we all need right now. I so appreciate you coming on. Where can we find you, Jonio? Well, again, we'll put all this in the show notes, but I have a, a website, www.drjoneal.com. That's kind of, and I'm on Facebook and I just did my very first TikTok. I <laughs> And it's not naughty. I don't swear. I don't do any of that mean stuff on TikTok because, but again, I can get addicted to that. But I want to share some of these thoughts out there in a, in whatever venue I can. I'm available to do presentations to organizations. I just was saying I did one for some nurses in California. We can't really travel a lot, but I got pretty good at this virtual <laughs> presenting. And I have a presentation that says, don't eat the toxic soup. It gives you heartburn. So if anyone is interested in hearing that presentation, like I said, Facebook, Dr. Joniel, and and those are the the places. But again, I do want you, if you get that document, when you get the document, not if, when you get the document about how to chart and it doesn't make sense, reach out to me. We can have a quick phone call. I'm happy to to give you some of the verbiage because it's it's a shift to how we do this. We all need to get better at reaching out. I know you and I both were passionate about what we're doing and we want to just help nurses and please reach out to us. I want to thank you so much for being on the show today, Joniel, and I hope people can find you because your work is very important. Thank you. Thank you so much to Joniel for being on the show today. She is a dynamic woman, a great speaker, and she has devoted a lot of her life to helping those that have dealt with bullying. Thank you for your time in listening today. If you like the show, please go leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show if you'd like so you can know where to find me every week. Don't you give up now You have made your vows You might not know how Donut Your Young was produced in partnership with True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by The Lighthearts. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at DonateYourYoung.com. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. But the best thing you could do to support the show is to share it with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.